This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And of course, uh, it's still learning that uh, not only is a protection for Klai Yisrael, it's definitely mugging for the, the Muncie community. And uh, you come out each and every night to learn, which is a tremendous thing. There was a fellow who was uh, a sailor, and imminent sailors wanted to get a promotion. So they were set up to take this test, the sailor test. And the captain starts to speak to him. He says, tell me, sailor, what would you do if you're on the ship and a storm comes from the south? He says, storm from the south? I'm going to take an anchor and throw it in. Okay, very good. And what happens if a storm is coming from the north? I'm going to take an anchor and throw it into the ocean. And what happens if a storm is coming from the west? I'm going to take an anchor and throw it in. And what happens if another storm is coming from the west? I'm going to take another anchor and throw it in. And if another storm is coming from the east, what are you going to do? I'm going to take an anchor and throw it in. Finally, the captain looks and says, Sailor, where are you getting all these anchors from? He says, Captain, the same place you're getting all these storms from. And really, that's what life is. In life, we're constantly getting storms thrown at us. We have to understand with every storm that is thrown at us, because both gives together with it an anchor. Sometimes we don't see the anchor right away. But if Tyre is our anchor, then it's very simple in a way that any storm that we are presented with, to be able to know how to deal with it. Because everything is in the Tyre. And that is what anchors us. And every challenge that comes with us is the Tyre that guides us. You know, it's partial when Yeshua reveals himself to his brothers, and he sends the wagons down to his father. As Gamora explains to us, what happens to the wagons? Tell him that, to remind the sugi we were learning before we left Egla Rufa. So Rapam and many asked, he said, of all things Yosef had to send to his father. He was away for more than 20 years. Why didn't he send uh, something that's an intimate uh, piece of information between the two of them? A nice story that they had together. This happens, he sends this to prove that he's Yosef. So Rapam explains he's not looking just to prove who he was. He's looking to prove that he's the same person he was when he left his father. Not just that he's Yasef. But if you meet somebody and you speak in learning, it means you're holding a learning. You meet somebody and he asks you about the game you went to. So that's what he's holding in. He wants to show his father who he is. Not just that I'm Yasef, but I'm the same Yasef when I left. And I remember the learning that we were doing, so we were speaking and learning. And that is what he wanted to convey to his father. That I am still that person who's holding and learning. There's a person named Moshe Shimon Kraus. Moshe Shimon Kraus is known as Moshe Dezinger. Moshe Dezinger came from a town, Ungvar, which is the same town my, my father was from. They grew up together, this person. Unfortunately, the war came, and he ended up in Bergen-Belsen, concentration camp. But before that, as he was growing up, he had a golden voice. He had a beautiful voice, and he would dive in the shoals. In fact, his step-grandfather was Shaila Kirstir. And he met him only one time. He was, uh, he, was, he was young, he was under two years old, he was holding him. And he said, He's a sweet mouth. So people used to go to this little kid when he was four, five, six years old, asking for a bracha. Because Shaila Kirstir said he had a zisepeh. He always said about himself, of course, what my grandfather meant, I have a good voice. Not that I can give brachas. And he would go seeing in different places and shows. 
In the early 1940s, he said, well, the Nazis were moving across Europe. He was invited to Hust, to Daven. Daven to give a concert, even though it was 1941. But he was invited to Hust, and there things weren't happening like they were happening in the rest of the places. So he was there and he finished. And right afterwards, someone comes running over to him and says, the Russia cool. The president of the community wants to speak to you. The Rushko wants to speak to me. I'm not even from Chust. He wants to speak to you. So I came inside. And it was Shabbos. He finished Davi. It was in the morning. It was Shabbos. He comes inside. And he says, you know, he says, Baruch Hu is here. Now, Moshe the Zinger, as a, as a, as a Bakr, used to go to the Milchus Elazar. He was very close with the Munkatcher, the Milchus Elazar. He was Nifter in 1937. And he became close to the Minkach son-in-law, Rav Baruchel, Rav Baruchel Rabinowitz. So he, the Rashakul tells him, he says, I want you to know that Rav Baruchel is here on the train. They gathered up all the people from here, all the Polish nationals, and they're sending them to the concentration camp. They're sending them to Kamenitz Podolsk. He's on the train now, together with his son, who's brought up today, the, the Hantiga Munkacher. She says, what, what, what should I do? What do you want from me? She says, here is a chok. He says, in the front, we just put in $500 in the front, and we bound in $500 in the back. I want you to take it, and run to the train station, and give it to him. Tell him there's $1,000, maybe it'll help him a little. Okay, I was very scared to go. The train, they're gathering of all the people, who knows what they would do to me. I wasn't a Polish national. Okay, so I went there. It was a long train, and running to each car, I'm yelling out for the Rebbe. There's no answer. I'm running and running. Finally get to the last car. The Rebbe sticks his head out of the window. And he sees me. He says, Maishal, what are you doing here? He says, here, I brought you this chak. And he tells him there's $1,000 inside. It was Shabbos. He took the money. He took the, the chak. And then, Maishal looks at him and says, Rebbe, Mavuz dafter feel Kiddush Hashem. Why does Rebbe want so much Kiddush Hashem? At that time already, they didn't even know exactly what was happening, but they knew it was terrible. People were being killed and tortured. The Rebbe looks at him and says, talking about the people in Nebuch who are getting tortured and killed. That's not Kiddush Hashem. It's not Kiddush Hashem. It's not Kiddush Hashem. It's not Kiddush Hashem. He's looking at him. What do you mean it's not Kiddush Hashem? He says, Mashallah. Kiddush Hashem is when a person has a choice. They have no choice, they're getting killed. Avad the Kiddushim. But not a Kiddush Hashem. Kiddush Hashem is when you have a choice. Maishla wants you to know this war is going to be over. One day this war will be over. And when the day comes that the war is over, the people who survive, they're going to have choices to make. Are they going to keep Shabbos? Or they're not going to keep Shabbos? They're going to keep Kashas? They won't keep Kashas. They're going to marry... A from lady, a Jewish lady, or they won't. Will they bring other kids of Tyrus to Kaidish or not? That is going to be Kiddush Hashem. That's going to be when they have a decision to make. And let's remember this and talk after the war. He wavered this way now when you remember these words and you remain the from you. And the truth is that's the same thing in everyone's life. And our daily life. You come home from work, you're tired. I want to go out and learn, or I don't want to go out and learn. It's a decision you have to make. If a person makes the right decision, it's a Kiddush Hashem. 
Not everyone has to know everyone's struggles. But it's more comfortable to stay home. More comfortable to do other things. A person has that ability to make that decision. If you stay home, no one's going to scream at you. No one's going to yell at you. And yet a person comes out to go learn. It's a Kiddush Hashem. That's when a person makes a Kiddush Hashem. When he has that option of making a decision. You know, in, uh, in Slobodka, there was an Elter Bacher. Elter Bacher, he was 25, 26 years old. He was a big master. And unfortunately, he reached a point once where his mind started to become addled. He started to lose his mind. And Rashiva saw this, he realized he has to take care of it, he tried to speak to the Bachar, but it really was getting a serious situation. So he put money together, he called in another Bachar, an 18-year-old Bachar, and he said, look, I arranged for a psychiatrist in the big city to see this Bachar. Here's this money, I want you to travel with him to the next city, and I want you to take him to the psychiatrist. Okay. Rashiva said, see what? They're traveling together with the two Bachar, they're, they're schmoozing with each other, they come to the city, and they come into the psychiatrist's office, there's a waiting room, they're sitting in the waiting room, they're talking. And after about a half hour, the psychiatrist opens the door and says, okay, who's next? The 26-year-old Bachar and the 18-year-old Bachar, they get up and they walk inside. They come inside, they sit down, the psychiatrist sits down and he says, no, how can I help you? And before the 18-year-old Bachar can say anything, the 25-year-old Bachar says, doctor, I'm here to help my friend. My friend needs to speak to you, he's got big problems. And the 18-year-old Bachar looks at him and says, Doctor, I'm here to help my friend. You need to speak to him. He needs some help. <coughs> so the older Bachar looks at the doctor and says, See, doctor, this guy has a problem. He walks around thinking he's helping everybody. And he's taking care of things. He's being people to psychiatrist. He, you, you really need to help him. And the 18-year-old Bachar looks at the psychiatrist and says, Doctor, what he's saying is true, but it's on him. He really needs help. You get... So the doctor's looking at both of these guys. He doesn't know what to... And he says, you know what? This is a very, very expensive visit. Tell me, who's paying for this visit? And the 18-year-old Bachar takes out his pocket, the money from his pocket. He goes, I have the money. So, if I know now who's the one, who's the real patient. They told the story to Chaim Kanievsky. So Chaim Kanievsky says, oh, he got this from the Gomorrah Kedushan on the Samach Dauron days. What's the Gomorrah Kedushan? Samach Dauron days? He said, three people showed up to the town. Two men and a lady. And a bag of money, they showed up to town. But they had a big argument. One guy said, this person is my slave. This lady is my wife. And this bag of money is my money. And they were fighting and they turned. They went to Bezdin. And he said, my slave, my wife, my money. So Bezdin turns to the other person and says, what do you have to say? He says, he's lying. He's my slave. That lady is my wife, and this money is my money. So they turned to the ladies, and then what do you have to say? What well, I have to say? They're both my slaves, and this is my money. <laughs> so Hank Yevsky said, I think I want to go through the case. So Hank Yevsky said, look at this Bacher from Slobodka. He was such a master. The terror went into him. Whatever happened to his brain, happened to his brain. But you see someone who lives in Lennon. Someone who's living in Lennon. He was in a very tough situation. He was embarrassed that he's by a psychiatrist. That much he knew. And when he needed help, the first thing he reached for was he reached for his Gemara. And he came up and he shelled through to the sugi. He said, That's not me, it's him. And he was able to do that. And Rechaim said, You see from here how much terror goes into a person. And, and without you realizing it, how much you use and you live such a life of terror. 
And even when he was losing his mind, unfortunately, he still kept the, the thinking of the Torah. You know, it says in the beginning of the Chakaisa, in the Chakaisa Teleichu, if you're going to go with my my chukim, that's mitzvah say tishmaru, vasisa myself. So Rashi says, what does it mean in the chukaisa teleichu? You're going to go with my chukim. So Rashi says, yachol zekima mitzvahs. Maybe it means that you're going to keep all the mitzvahs. He says it can't be. Why not? Because right afterwards it says vasmitzvah say tishmaru. So it can't mean that. So what does it mean? She says, how many mekayim in the chukaisa teleichu? She do amelim b'teira. You're going to be an amul letter. You're going, to, you're going to work hard in the learning. And that's when you're going to get these brachas. What are the brachas you're going to get if you're talking amul letter? So the pasuk goes through different things. There's going to be peace. And there won't be wild animals. You'll have food. You'll have plenty of bread. Then the pasuk says, there won't be wars. And it says, I will turn to you. And I'll make you fruitful. I'll increase you. So Rashi says, "What does it mean?" I will turn to you. The pasuk could just say, "I'm going to, I'm going to make you fruitful. I'll increase you." What, what is being added by "I will turn to you"? So Rashi says, "Oh, good kasha." Rashi says, "I'll take care of that." I'm going to turn away from all my things that I am involved with. To pay your reward. I'm going to turn away from everything and I'm going to pay your reward. What does that mean? I have to turn away from other things. So Rashi says, okay, okay, I'll, I'll explain it. He says, is a case of someone who has a bunch of workers and they finish working, it comes time to pay them. So he starts, they're all lining up and he's paying all of them. One of the workers come and he tells this worker, listen here, you're my main worker, you do a tremendous job. Why don't you wait on the side? Let me take care of everybody else, all the regular stuff, and then I'll deal with you because I have a lot more to give you. He says, that's what Hashem is doing. All the nations of the world, they want their schar. So Hashem says, Ufanisi Yalecha, I'm going to turn to you, you're who's learning, and I'm going to give you schar. I don't see how this answers the question. What does it mean, Ufanisi Yalecha, I'll turn to you, and I will turn away from all my other things I'm involved with. You know, conjures up the image of a, a very busy CEO. He's sitting in his office, the phones are ringing, the secretary comes inside, sign this, sign that, the, the, the plant manager comes inside, says, we got a problem, the machine's not working. The other guy says that the trucks are waiting for delivery. The other guy says that the, you know, the, the cartons are now sitting offshore, not coming from China, the containers, what are we going to do? And, and everyone's t- talking to him. And finally he says, it's enough, everyone be quiet. Let me deal with one thing at a time. Is that what the Kurdish Baruch was doing? I will turn to you. And Rashi says, I have to turn away from everyone else so I can, I can focus on you. That's not our understanding of the Rabbi Nishleilam. So you say, the Vilna Gain, in his earlier years, he used to give a shear in the shul. At one time, they were getting ready for the shear, and people were coming in, and all of a sudden, one balker comes inside, and the Vilna Gain stood up for him. So the Vilna Gain stood up for him, so everybody stood up for him. This Bachar also you know, turns uh, bright red. Everyone's standing up for him. The Vilna guy's standing up for him. Like, he runs to his seat. He sits down. Right, the shear's over. And everyone's looking at this guy like, you know, what, what, what happened? He says, I don't know. He says, what do you, you don't know? The Vilna guy stood up for you. He says, I don't know. He says, you know what? I, I, I'm so curious myself. He worked up the courage. He went over to the Vilna guy. 
He says, Rebbe, I, I noticed the Rebbe stood up for me. He says, why did you stand up for me? Be careful when you ask a question, because sometimes you get an answer. And the Vilna guy looks at him, and he asks him a question that no Talmud wants to hear from his Rebbe, and that is, where were you last night? So, Boshan, the guy had a good answer. He goes, I was at home. He says, what were you doing at home? At night time, I, I went to sleep. He says, you were sleeping the whole night? So actually, I, I didn't actually sleep the whole night. I got up at 3 o'clock. I couldn't sleep, so I got up at 3 o'clock. I got up at 3 o'clock. And what did you do? I tried to go back to sleep. And what happened? I, I couldn't go back to sleep. So what did you do? I took out a gamoy. I started to learn. After 20 minutes, it worked. I fell asleep. So the guy looks at him and says, I want you to know, for during those 20 minutes that you were learning, there were three minutes that you were the only person in the world who was learning Torah. You were the only person in the universe learning Torah. Which means the whole world was standing in your schools during those three minutes. So somebody comes inside this year who's keeping the whole world going. I shouldn't stand up for him. That's why I stood up for you. That's what the story he told him. We know that the Chaim Velazhen in Nefesh Chaim writes, why did Kosh Baruch create the world with different time zones? So there should always be people learning Torah. Right? This took place when there were very few hidden in America. And also very few hidden there to Israel. So three minutes, he was the only person in the world learning. So with this, you can understand the Fosik. He said, if you're going to go learn Torah, you're going to be again learning, I will turn to you. What does it mean? I will turn to you. I'm going to look at you as if you are the only person learning Torah. And you can be sitting in a base manager with 2,000 people. But the way Karaz Barfu looks at you is as if you are the only person in the world learning Torah. Now imagine you're sitting, and a guy told me once, you're sitting in, in, a, in a, he's sitting in Shiva learning, and it seems like the two guys next and got a little bored. So they start to talk about their phones. This guy said, I got this type of phone, I got a Galaxy, what'd you get? I got a flip phone, but there's a game on it. Oh yeah, what game does it have in it? It's got Snake. It's a stupid game. But I'm getting good at it. And that's what they're talking about. Because can you imagine if you knew that the whole world was riding on your learning? You wouldn't stop for a second. We see from this faucet that Taka, when we learn, if we're really learning, we're learning with Yigiyah, then the whole world is riding on our learning. There could be another 2,000 people learning. There could be another 20,000 people learning. But if we are learning, of course, Baruch looks at it as if we're the only people in the world learning. And that's where the grain stood up for him. And that is how precious our learning is. We have to realize ourselves, sometimes we're learning, and, like, and if they don't come, who's going to know the difference? Because Baruch will know the difference. The world itself will feel the difference. Each person himself, when he learns, holds up the world. But it has to be learning, the Imam is looking in the learning. He tells Roshiva of Gifter, unfortunately you have to go around collecting, or Gifter would often say, he said, uh, who wants to be Roshiva? Rashiva has to run around collecting all the time. A businessman, he gets to learn. So Gifter used to go to Mexico to collect. There were Tamidim of the Yeshiva alumni in Mexico. And when Gifter came, they set up a whole bunch of meetings for Gifter. And when he was there, one of the people they set up, there was a very wealthy person, and they set up a meeting for him to meet with Gifter. And every time the meeting was supposed to happen, the person pushed off the meeting, it wasn't working out. Finally, Gifter himself went to the house. He went to the person's house, he knocks on the door, and the butler answers the door, come in, 
sorry, the person's not home, he meets with the person's wife, he says, I'm sorry, my husband's in business. So Rav Gifter says, he looks around the house, a beautiful palatial home, he says, you know, I'm trying to get in touch with him for a while, I, I, I'm leaving soon, I can't get in touch with him. So she says, you know what, let me arrange an appointment for you, wait here. She comes back a few minutes later, I spoke to him, he said, you can go see him tomorrow morning at 7.15 in his office. 7.15 in the morning. So the time goes, he drives with Gifter the next morning to his office, 7.15, he comes inside, his beautiful, beautiful office, and he meets with the fellow, and Gifter tells him about the yeshiva, and the person writes with Gifter a large, nice check. Once the Gifter has the check, he turns to the person, he says, you know, I had a difficult time getting in touch with you. He says, yeah, what can I do? i got to work. He says, you know, I was by your house. You have a beautiful home. Why do you need such a nice home if you're never there? He looks and he says, Rabbi, he says, you do what you have to do. I do what I have to do. In order for me to be successful, without ligging in the ASIC, you have to live in the business, without ligging in the ASIC. He says, I'm here, i got to make a living, that's why I'm here. The gifter came back and he was very, very excited. He said over this Misa, he said, the check was very nice. He said, but the lesson he learned is a lot stronger. And that is, we say the whole time in Davening, for Bivis Atera, Why do we use the lashon of Lasek B'Divitera? Not Lilmaid, not to learn Tera, but Lasek B'Divitera. We have to be Isaac in the Tera. We have Ligan in the land. So that's the way a person goes, and he improves his learning, and he accomplishes with his learning. If he looks at it, this is my life. We Ligan in the Isaac. That is how a person is, let's say, in his learning. Now how does a person know if he's holding there? How does a person know if he's talking learning for real or if he's just doing going through the motions? Last year, there was a fellow, there was a a bacher, a 13-year-old bacher in Lakewood who was driving home from yeshiva by bike. And unfortunately, he was driving and the car in front of him made a short stop. He hit the car and he went flying into the car and then over the car and he landed on the other side of the car. And then the car sort of drove over his leg and it was a, not such a good situation. So it came, they brought the person to the hospital. At the same time, the parents were called, they came to the hospital. And when they came, there was a pretty bad situation and they put the buff, they had to put him into an induced coma. So his body can have a chance to, to recuperate a little. The parents were there, they didn't know what's going to be. They spoke to the doctor and the doctor said, listen, we already operated, we did what we can do. We don't know, he had a concussion, we don't know how bad it is, we don't know what's going to happen when we take him out of the coma. So what do you mean, what, what could be? Maybe he won't come out of the coma. If he does come out of the coma, maybe he won't even know how to talk. Maybe he'll forget everything. The truth is sometimes when they come out, they just start to speak gibberish. gibberish. They, they, they say curse words. So why would they say curse words? So whatever's inside of them, that's what they say, just... His parents were sitting there crying, saying, tell him the whole family's crying. And Taka, after a few days, they said, okay, we're going to take him off the medicine and we'll see when he comes out of the coma. Sure enough, they're sitting there and he starts to come out. And they're very excited. He opens up his eyes, he looks, he sees his father, he sees his mother, he looks, he turns to his father and he says, Ta, he said, what time is it? It's the first thing he says. So he tells him it's 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He looks at his father and says, I don't think I counted sphere last night. 
father started to cry. It was only later on he was able to verbalize why he cried. He said he realized now what was inside his son. If that's the first thing he can say when he comes out of a coma. I was once dealing with a bacher who unfortunately had a fight with a bus driver. And he said some uh, not choice words. So some never tell the bacher. So I was speaking to the bacher and he said, I'm sorry, it slipped out. I said, I have no problem that it slipped out. The question is, why was it inside in the first place? That's the problem. She says, this bacher slips out. What slips out? I didn't count sphere. I don't think I count the sphere. That's what a person knows what he's really doing. When he goes and he, he's faced with these types of things, what comes out naturally, that's what a person knows where he's holding. What does it mean, the value of our learning? Sometimes we don't appreciate we get to learn. We don't realize not everyone gets to learn. Some people get to support Torah, but they don't get to actually learn it. Many years ago, the Mir Yeshiva, there were two Bakram. They just came from America. There weren't that many American Bakram. And they came inside the Yeshiva. And they noticed, in those days, the Arabs, they would deliver the milk. The milk were delivered in glass bottles. These cases in glass bottles. And after breakfast is over, some people went to learn right away. Some people had a little of a, a longer breakfast. And they noticed that the cook, not a young lady, an elderly lady, She'd come around collecting all the bottles, put them in the crates, and then she left the crates to the door. So the next morning when the Arabs came to deliver, they would bring the new milk and take the old ones away. So these two bakrams said, you know, it's ridiculous. Now she has to work so hard. We're young guys. After breakfast is over, they benched, they got up, they quickly collected all the empty bottles, put them in the crates, slept the crates to the door, they left it there. It took them all of five minutes, very happy with their good deed. And they went to learn. The next day, the same thing happened. The bottles were out. They finished breakfast. They collected all the bottles, put them by the door, and went up to learn. Third day, they're finishing breakfast, and all of a sudden, the cook comes out of the kitchen. And she comes over to those two bathroom. She said, tell me, are you the two boys who have been collecting the bottles? She says, yes. Are you the two boys who have been slapping the heavy, heavy crates to the door so I don't have to do it? And now the big smiles, yes. That's what we're doing. She said, it's very, very nice of you because they're very, very heavy. It's very difficult to do. He said, it's our pleasure. She said, but please don't do it anymore. What's the problem? She says, it's a very big chesed that you're doing. It's not learning a blot gemara. You let me do my job. You go upstairs and you do yours. Who was this lady? Who was this cook? This was Rebetzin Shmolevitz. Rebetzin Shmolevitz is Rebetzin who worked in the kitchen. She understood the value of Torah. And she wanted to do everything she can do to help people learn Torah. So we can go out and go learn, have to realize that we have the ability to actually go, not just support Torah, but to learn Torah. We are in a very fortunate situation. But sometimes a person doesn't realize it right away. Sometimes a person is lucky enough to learn Torah when he's younger. And sometimes a person isn't. There's a fellow... He was in yeshiva, he got married, he was in Kaila for a few years. And then he had to go to work. So he went to work, and of course, he kept the shir in the morning, had a chrusa at night. He was very involved in his learning. Until one time, he slowly stopped to coming to the shir in the morning, stopped coming to the shir at night. And he was working very hard. And this went on for about 20 years. And one day, he shows up for the early morning shir, 5.30 in the morning, he shows up. So of course, everyone's giving sing with him, what's the matter, he couldn't sleep while you're here. He says, I can't tell you, we have to learn now. 
I'll tell you after davening. Now everybody got interested. So after learning, after davening, they crowd around and what's going on? He says, you all know that a few weeks ago I had to put my mother in a nursing home. No choice, she was living by us for a while, but we had no choice, we had to put her in a nursing home. But I try to visit her at least twice a week. Yesterday, as we do all the time, I went to visit her. But there was some construction. Now this nursing home, they have separate floors for men and ladies. So they had one floor for men, one floor for ladies. But there was construction going off, so I couldn't go the normal way. So I had to go through the, the men's floor first to get upstairs. I'm walking down the hallway, and I hear yelling and yelling and yelling. I'm getting close to the room, I hear my a fight going on. So I got scared, I go around to the room very fast. And I see there's three old men, in their 80s, sitting by a window, and they're screaming at each other. 93, 87, 103, and they're yelling at each other. So I felt bad. I went over to them, I said, uh, you know, young man, maybe I can uh, help out a little. I looked at him, ah, you young whippersnapper, what do you know? The other guy says, you know what, we're sitting here arguing anyways, maybe you can help us. Okay, what can I do for you? He says, well, we're sitting here, as we do every day, and we count how many cars drive by in the two hours. So we're counting the cars. And 93 cars pass by. This guy says 87. And the guy starts yelling, what do you mean it's 103? And he starts screaming again, how many cars pass by in the past two hours? 83, 100. The guy hears this and Shagoy, and he walks out. He goes to visit his mother. He finishes the visit, and he has to go down the same way. And now again, I hear yelling. I say, this is not a nursing home, it's an insane asylum. Yelling. This time I hear yelling again, I walk by the room. There's two elderly men sitting on their bed. They have a Gemara open. And they're screaming about a Pshanatasis. And they're yelling at each other. You don't know how to learn. Pshanatasis, this way, that way. They're speaking and learning. I was standing there mesmerized. And then the nurse came in with their meal. And they just said, just put it down, put it down. We're busy now. And they continued their learning. I stumbled out of the building into my car. I couldn't get the key into the ignition. Because I burst out crying. And I realized... The way I'm going, I'll probably also end up in a nursing home. But I realize that I'm not learning. I'm probably going to end up in that room where they're counting the cars. But I don't want to end up in the room where they're counting the cars. I want to end up in the room where they're fighting over a tesis. And I realize the only way I can do that is if I make sure I learn. So I'm back here. I'm back by this year. So I can make sure when I'm older, when I'm in that nursing home, I'm not going to go count cars. I'm going to make sure I can go and learn. Reminds me of the, these two guys used to go to work every morning, and these two Arabs are working, and they worked on roofs. They were roofers, and they're sitting there talking to each other, and they're working. And it came lunchtime, right? They just want to take down the sandwich. This guy opens up the sandwich, and he looks his tuna fish again. Tuna fish again. Tuna fish. He got so angry, and he runs off the roof and he kills himself. Other guy says, okay. Opens up his sandwich, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Peanut butter and jelly, I can't, can't believe it. Meanwhile, there's a big commotion downstairs, somebody just killed himself. The police come, they're looking, and these two wives are standing there talking to each other about what happened. And one lady says, I don't understand. If my husband doesn't want peanut butter and jelly, why didn't he just tell me he doesn't want peanut butter and jelly? I'd make it something else. And the other lady says, I don't understand my husband. He makes his own lunch. <laughs> Which means a person can go every day and be upset about his lunch and not do anything about it. If you don't do anything about it, it won't change by itself. 
a person can think, I want to be big time of I want to be big time of So go learn. I have to do that too. If you don't do it, it won't happen. So I just want to leave you off with one very, very important critical component to make sure that you have it soft when you're learning. The Shavina Rav, Dov Beresh Weinefeld, he was giving a shear to 16, 17-year-old Bachram. And he was giving a shear, and he says, you know, I'm going to ask you a kasha now, very difficult kasha. Think before you answer. And he asked him the kasha, and Taki was a very short kasha. 16, 17-year-old. They're thinking about it, and all of a sudden, after a few minutes, one guy raises his hand. The Rebbe says, yeah. He gives a terence. The Rebbe looks at him and says, that's not your terence. Bachram looks, he says, I never heard the cash before, I just thought of it. That's not your terrace. He doesn't know what to say, what's it? And the Rebbe looks at him and says, That's your mother's terrace. It's my mother's terrace. My mother doesn't learn Gemara, I never learned, uh, went through any of the sugars with my mother. That's your mother's terrace. Doesn't know, know what the Rebbe's talking about. Finally, the Rebbe says, The kasha I asked is very, very difficult. There's no way a 16 year old is going to answer the kasha. You know how you answer that kasha? Because your mother sins lift. When your mother lights her candles Friday night, she davens for you. It was the kayak of her tefillahs that you were able to answer such a kasha. And you should never think that we can do anything without tefillah. A person can daven, but he has to make sure when he's davening, he's talking to the Vayneshvayel. And when a person has to go learn, he has to realize that all that tzlacha comes only from tefillah. So you should all be zekhah to continue your vayda sekhaydash and coming out to learn Torah and being a mugging for Chayisra. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.